Alright, welcome back to another episode of Fantasy Baseball Buds Podcast. Today is 421. I'm your host, Richie. Joined today, as always, is my co-host, Matt. And today, we're going to be talking about some recent league news and some of our dynasty trades that we've completed over the past week. Uh, We're going to check in on our bold predictions, where we stand with them. And then we're going to talk about some prospect predictions, the top prospects, when they're coming up, and when we think that's going to happen. So let's start it off first with our icebreaker question. Matt, what is your favorite hobby or activity to do during the summer? Honestly, I would say probably just spending time outside. Um, I obviously moved to the West Coast because I enjoy having kind of an extended period of summer. Being in Las Vegas, we kind of kick our spring or our summer off around April, so around right now. Um, I also worked at a pool, so that also helps. But I am not a kayaker. I'm not someone that loves being in the water. I do enjoy disc golfing, though. So, yeah, those are mine. What about you, Richie? Yeah, as you just alluded to, my favorite is kayaking and disc golfing. I recently purchased a kayak last year with COVID, and it was something I've been meaning to do for the longest time. And just getting out there, having some beers, enjoying the water, um, just hearing the waves, and disc golfing just love getting outside being competitive it's for the most part free it's a cheap sport it's something that we did in high school and throughout college and it's now become a long-term hobby but let's move along let's talk about some recent news we'll talk about each one batter and one pitcher that's kind of stuck out to us or piqued our interest this past week so i'll start it off the first one is jazz chisholm second baseman for the miami marlins he won the second base starting job out of spring training he's currently batting 310 has eight runs three home runs six rbis and three stolen bases it was just announced that he got bumped up to the leadoff position and as of today he went two for four with a stolen base and then my next player is jesus lazardo his latest outing was five and a third innings with two hits no earned runs one ball and six strikeouts as opposed to previously, he had 13 innings pitched with 19 hits, 12 earned runs, 7 walks, and 15 strikeouts. And we'll, we'll dig a little bit deep into those guys. But first, I want to hear, Matt, who your pitcher and batter are that you want to bring up. Yeah, so my pitcher today is going to be Luis Castillo for the Cincinnati Reds. Four games, 19 and a third innings, 16 strikeouts, a whip of 166. An ERA of 6.05. And then my batter is going to be Gavin Lux, batting 220 with four runs, zero home runs, five RBIs, and one stolen base. All right, so we'll just go in kind of the order we just brought them up. Let's start off with Jazz Chisholm. Are you buying? Are you selling? Do you think this is the real deal? What are your general thoughts on Jazz? In all honesty, I am not buying Jazz. I'm looking at his day-to-day box scores right now. And I looked at him on Sunday night, and I wanted to pick Jazz up. I want to put a waiver bid in, a fab bid in. And what I saw was Jazz is really just on a hot streak. If you look at his last five games, starting off with his fifth game, he was one for four, two for three, two for three, one for three. And then today, as you had mentioned, two for four. It's really inflating his average. And yes, his power is there. I don't expect Jazz rest of season to hit over 260. I think the power is legit. I think he could absolutely be a power threat. I view Jazz more, though, as a Dan Ogla, 
What do you think? Yeah, you know, it kind of reminds me of when Fernando Tatis just came up. I had my own speculations about it, and I didn't believe Fernando Tatis was going to be anything special other than this power speed guy and not have average. And look where he is now. He's a, a first, second round pick. And it kind of reminds me of that because he's got the flair. He's got the potential to be the face of the MLB. I know there's concern about his batting average. I just wonder what's going to happen. We've talked about it all the time about the the batter comes up, pitchers don't have any film on them, and they get off to this hot start like we're seeing, and then pitchers have film and they can figure out where the holes are in the swing, and I'm waiting to see when that happens. I kind of agree, but I also think there is that upside where he, I don't want to say he's could be a Fernando Tatis, but I could see him getting to like a, a top five round pick. And I'm curious to see what that develops into, but just his BABIP is 385. It's through the roof right now. That's unsustainable. So we'll, we'll see. His walk rate is usually around 8%. It's 17%, which is way higher than normal. So if he can sustain that, maybe he can keep it up, but I guess we'll see. Let's move along to Jesus Lazardo, a pitcher I have in my Dynasty League. We've talked offline before about how I was trying to actually move him, but nobody wanted him because over his first three starts, he had 13 innings pitched with 12 earned runs almost every single inning he pitched. He gave up a run, and nobody wanted him. And then his last start he had yesterday, no earned runs. I know the biggest thing with him right now is his fastball is up substantially. He's throwing it 61% of the time as opposed to last year. He only threw it 32% of the time. And he really used to rely on all his off-speed pitches and mix it up through about his four pitches um, pretty equally around 20 to 25% of the time. And I, I was trying to sell him. Now I'm kind of in the hold pattern. What are your thoughts, feelings about him? Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think- Yesterday's game is really hard to gauge his value. Um, he faced the Twins coming off a an extended period of absence, right? They had the COVID issue in Anaheim. They came back. Just for context, Garver was the leadoff batter yesterday, and that right followed by Josh Donaldson, who's coming back off an injury. And then Nelson Cruz, who's 40 years old, and after five days off, probably needed to knock some rust off. I think what we need to see from Lazardo is an extended period of time, maybe three weeks, consistently getting quality starts, and then maybe I buy in. I still think he's a few years away. I would be selling first opportunity I got. Yeah, and that's kind of what I did. I just um, I did it a little too early where nobody wants him right now. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to Luis Castillo, somebody you want to talk about, so I'll let you take take it away. Yeah, Luis Castillo is having a very troubling year. His whip, obviously, above 150, sitting at 166. His ERA is at 605, which is actually very generous. He's had some terrible defense behind him this year. But Luis Castillo is just getting absolutely clobbered. And we're four games in now. I think we're starting to see our 2019 version of Luis Castillo, um, which had his issues as well. And his walks are kind of starting to climb back up. His changeup is still there. I'm honestly thinking right now, go and buy Luis Castillo. I still think he can finish the year with an ERA a little bit below four. I think he might be able to get some of his control back. And I do still view Luis Castillo as a top 25, top 30 pitcher. But I think the days of us talking about Luis Castillo in the top 15, top 10 are long gone. But I do think if you can get Luis Castillo for maybe, say, Carlos Rodon, 
definitely go ahead and take advantage of that. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Over his past few starts where he has, you know, seven strikeouts, that was against the San Francisco Giants, not the greatest lineup. I mean, if we look at his four starts against the Diamondbacks, Giants, Pirates, Cardinals, the only one that really sticks out to me as a true challenge is the St. Louis Cardinals. And in that outing, he went three and a third with eight earned runs <laughs> for negative six points. So that's kind of a red flag for me. I personally, as having Luis Castillo in the past, I'm staying away because I've been down that road where he has great starts and he just blows up and gets you negative points. So I do agree he's not a top 15 pitcher anymore. I view him as a top 20 to 30 guy. I still think he can have amazing starts, but it's just a matter of when are you getting him and I think he's more of a matchup guy in my opinion but let's uh move along let's talk about gavin lux yeah so lux is intriguing and it kind of pairs really well with your jazz chisholm comp here right we talked about jazz chisholm earlier and i think the idea of having lux and what lux was supposed to be is kind of the numbers that jazz is producing and maybe for a lot of dynasty owners this week or last week you had a decision to face with possibly dropping Lux and picking up Chisholm. Lux is now on the IL now with the wrist injury. I think that wrist injury may have hampered his ability, dropping his average from what was 300 down to the low 200s. I'd like to see Lux come back, start to work his way back into the lineup, get fully healthy. And I think Lux end of season is probably the top fantasy rookie performer to finish this season and may even make a run at the rookie of the year. I think him and Cabrian Hayes both have a great chance to make a good run at that rookie of the year. We're going to have to see. What are your thoughts, Richie? Yeah, I wonder how much of it was his wrist injury, how much of it was him just struggling to to adjust. I know in 2020 he had only 69 plate appearances and he had a 175 batting average but also had a low BABIP. So not a good enough sample size for us to gauge. I do like the pedigree. I do think he can get that average up and could be a 300 hitter. Um, so I don't know if he's rookie of the year candidate, but I could be wrong. So that brings me to my next point. Let's talk about some dynasty moves that have been made this past week. Uh, myself, Matt, and one of our other league mates, Reed, all made trades this week. We'll start off with mine since I did the first one. I traded Wilson Ramos for JT Real Muto, but I also packaged it up with Yusei Kikuchi and Dane Dunning. To put a little context behind it, we are a salary keeper league, so I traded a $4 Ramos, a $7 Kikuchi, and a $1 Dane Dunning for, uh, I believe it was $12 or $13 JT Real Muto. So I pretty much gave this team some pitching depth when they didn't have it. Dunning and Kikuchi were my six and seven starting pitchers, so I almost never used them. Uh, I think it was a great trade for me. JT Real Muto used to be on my team a couple years ago, and I had to let him walk, and I've been regretting it ever since. So maybe this is just my emotional tie to JT Real Muto, but I think I got a steal, uh, especially considering I picked up Ramos and Kikuchi this year. So in my eyes, I view it as I was able to turn Dane Dunning into JT Real Muto. What are your thoughts about my trade, Matt? And then we'll move on to your trade. I love it. I think in our league, we saw this with my playoff performance against you last year. If you don't have a top, say, six catcher, uh, you're in a, you're at a severe disadvantage. And I kind of look at those catchers right now, obviously, as JT Real Muto. 
I wouldn't even put Will Smith in that category because he's playing infrequently and he's not performing as we expected. I'd put Omar Navarez probably two. Um, after the performance on Sunday, I would put Travis Darno three. I mean, he's definitely a guy that's going to have five or six cold games, but his seventh is amazing. And I think kind of to round it all out, I would probably, you know, maybe even take the catcher that you had in Christian Vasquez for the simple fact that he plays an absolute ton. Um, but with that being said, you got the number one catcher in the league. You got him for basically nothing. You're not going to be able to start Dane Dunning because you have a depth of pitching. I think it was a great well, trade. And the other thing we've talked about, I, I don't know, on air, but definitely off air is Dane Dunning, you know, he's going to have workload concerns more than any other pitcher. And they were already talking about him possibly being in a piggyback role and being an opener. So it was a little shocked to see that he was going, you know, five, six innings. But he was just efficient. He's only pitching 60, 70 pitches in these starts. So I thought, I'm in win-now mode. And he does nothing for me in August and September when I'll need him the most. But JT Realmuto, if he's healthy, can be that reliable guy that's going to get me 20 to 30 points a week enough about my trade let's talk about your trade you were able to acquire luke weaver via the waiver wire and you traded him for tyler malley talk about your reasoning thinking and your strategy behind it yeah so me and you were kind of going through our uh our google docs page and i stumbled across an old outline that we had this is probably like week two or three of our podcast And I actually picked Luke Weaver to be a breakout, which I completely forgot about. Um, It was Luke Weaver and Evan White were my guys. I don't remember who you had picked. And I'm kind of reading Luke Weaver's, like, projected stats. And I was kind of on point with it, which made me kind of even more upset that I just made this deal. But Tyler Malley's start tonight kind of nullifies that frustration. Um, yeah, I picked up Luke Weaver, who I really like. He's 27, he's starting to get his fastball back, back from Tommy John, but he's really just a two-pitch pitcher right now, really needs to learn how to hone in that slider because he has normally been a curveball guy. But I really believe that Tyler Malley could take the next step. I think Tyler Malley could easily be a top 30 pitcher. I just think they need to stretch him out a little bit. I think he's pitched five, five and two-thirds, and then tonight another five and two-thirds. They're not really letting him get too deep into games. But I love it. This was a long-term trade. This was for me to hold on to Mally with the hopes that within the next couple of years he can be a guy in my rotation. And I absolutely love it. Uh, Tyler Malley is a $1 player for you to keep. You picked up Luke Weaver for $3. So Malley, better pitcher in my mind, and he's cheaper. Sign me all up. I was on the Tyler Malley train maybe a year or two ago, but like most players and everything, I feel like I'm always a year or two early, and it's just a matter of can I be patient enough to wait for the breakout. So I love it. Uh, Let's move on to Reed's trade. He traded Luis Castillo, who we just recently talked about, Frankie Montas, and Alex Reyes, relief slash starting pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, straight up for Lucas Giolito. A little context behind this, Luis Castillo, I don't have his in our league. He is somewhere between $20 and $30 to keep. Frankie Montas is $6, Alex Reyes is $1, and Lucas Giolito is only $6, which for a top 10 player is pretty appealing. What are your initial thoughts, and how do you feel this works out for each team? I think this one is, for Reed, 
a long-term approach of trying to lock up an ace that is reasonably cheap, which, I mean, keeping for $11 going into next season is an absolute steal. But he's giving up depth. And I'm not sold on Lucas Giolito as being an an ace-ace-ace, right? Like a top four or five in the league. Um, I think in order to really be a blockbuster trade, you have to almost go out and get like Corbin Burns, right? Who has the pitch mix to, to be the best in the league. What I see from Giolito is a very, very similar profile to Jack Flaherty. And as Jack Flaherty, I would also comp him to Luis Castillo then, a guy that's more than likely to sit in the top 30, but he could be 28, he could also be 11. And that's from a year-to-year basis, right? We're not saying that throughout the season, but I'm really glad Reed made this trade because he did have a lot of pitching depth, and this kind of thins that out. But it also adds an ace to his team for the next three, four years. Yeah, I I have mixed feelings on it. It definitely helps the team acquiring Luis Castillo and Frankie Montas. I believe they also need a relief pitcher so they can slide Alex Reyes in there. And this is a team that is borderline rebuilding, but also kind of middle of the pack might have a chance to make the playoffs if everything goes right for them. So they'll get Alex Reyes for cheap, Frankie Montas for cheap, and Luis Castillo, as you put it, is a very generous comp to Lucas Giolito. I mean, he has the potential to maybe finish top 10, but we know he's probably going to be 20 to 30. We saw just recently with Lucas Giolito blown up for maybe seven, eight earned runs that he has that blow up potential. Now I know it was a, a day game and he's not a morning person, but that was great. Wasn't it? Like point. I, I'm not a morning person either. And so I we're going to, so we're going <laughs> to, I'm not a morning person. Good. Yeah. You're going to pitch the double header in <laughs> the morning. We're not going to have, yeah. What, like what, <laughs> what are you thinking? But anyways, I think they learned their lesson, but yeah, I mean, you saw in our league, if there's a starting pitcher that's out there and, come draft day, they'll go for over $50. So I think Luis Castillo for the 25 to $30 that he is, is still worth it for this rebuilding team. So I like it for both sides. I just think it adds more risk to Reed's team. He's got a lot of high ceiling, low floor guys. Mm-hmm. But enough about our trades. Those are the big talks over the week for us. Let's talk about the most recent injury to Nelson Lamette leaves leaves his first start in the second inning with forearm tightness. One of my bold predictions was Nelson Lamette does not pitch more than 50 innings because he was recommended for Tommy John last year and they decided to let him rehab. I think similar to what you Darvish did, I believe. Is that correct? Or no, you're thinking, uh, Tanaka. you're thinking Tanaka. Yeah. So similar approach, but I mean, he's young enough. He probably should have just got it. Um, bit the bullet but now he's going to be out a full another year and it's not looking too well now i don't know if he's going to need tommy john because it's just forearm tightness but i fear the worst and let's talk about one of your bold predictions and that was zach plesak losing a rotation spot in the indians lineup at some point this year i believe you said it was july i think i said july yeah by july so either way Plesak has not looked great this year. He's looking pretty bad. Anything you want to note about that? Oh, man. He was six runs yesterday. Damn, I didn't know that. One in three, 14 Ks, 6.75 ERA. This is what I thought Zach Plesak was. You know, he doesn't have a lot of movement. He doesn't have high velocity. His spin rate is back to normal. 
I expect this to continue. And yes, he's going to have some nice games. He's going to get to pitch against the Tigers where he's going to go six innings and give up three runs. But my hope is come Monday in Minnesota, well, I guess technically in Cleveland, I hope that Nelson Cruz takes him yard three times. I hope Byron Buxton takes him yard twice. And I hope he retires. Um, but no. And all really, that's, I, I think this is on point. I think by July, he'll have lost his job and maybe be in a, a long stretch role for the Indians because there's something mechanically wrong with him. He's really not this bad. He's not a six seven five ERA guy. I would imagine there is something mechanically wrong with him. What do you think, Richie? Yeah, I agree. I never was a police that guy. He outperformed his peripherals last year, and it's showing right now. And I just don't see him succeeding. I don't know if he'll lose a rotational spot because – the Indians don't have much going for them, and who's going to take over for him? I will. So I think I'll, do still... I'll do it. Is there a job <laughs> offer? <laughs> you, you have to uh, pass the physicals first, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, I want to we'll do that. See. Yeah, I want to do that. Um, but, yeah, while we're on the topic, let's touch on some of our other bold predictions. Uh, we'll start with the, the one off the top of my head, and that was me saying James Karenchek will not be the closer by the end of May. So far, it's looking pretty good. It looks like Emmanuel Class A is the closer, and it looks like he's not doing anything to lose that. I remember when we first talked about it before the season started, I wanted to say by the All-Star break, and you said that wasn't bold enough and I should do it by April, and we settled for May. Either way, it looks like it's going to be a hit for me. Um, What are your thoughts? Do you think Karinczak has a chance at getting it back, or do you think Class A is sewn it up for the rest of the year no i i never think it's fair to say rest of the year i think class a has a lot of arm talent i've watched a few of his games this year since i own class a now in our dynasty league i feel like it's kind of a wait and see um james karen check it's karen check right I, yeah karen check i think it can go either way but uh, uh let's talk about some of the other ones we'll just touch on a few of them i know a lot of ours are end of season type prediction so i don't want to touch on all of them but the one i do want to highlight is you picking ty france for mvp finalist so far he has done nothing to doubt that right now as he has been on fire he is ranked the number one second baseman in points leagues according to espn he has a 306 batting average three home runs 13 runs and 10 rbis the only thing i fear is he got hit with a pitch yesterday or two days ago i should say but he did pinch hit yesterday so he looks to be fine matt how are you feeling about this bold prediction well i I really don't know if ty is going to be a finalist for mvp right this is something that was extremely bold i watched the box score every single day i watched ties ties at bats as much as i can like i'm buying in on this ty france season and i think that's kind of heightening my excitement he's playing great he's finally playing at a level that we expected him to when he hit 399 in 2019 in the minor league. So this is Ty France, right? He's going to bat 300. He might hit you anywhere from 20 to 30 home runs. He's going to maybe get you 80 to 100 RBIs. And he's a catalyst. Like, he is making this team in Seattle much better because of the way he plays. And that's exactly what you want. And that's what an MVP finalist, for me at least, is. Now, end of season counting stats, I don't think he's going to compare to some of the guys. But he's playing to the level that I expect him to. Either way, Ty France for MVP. Yeah, let's, let's get shirts. Yeah, well, I'm buying his jersey. I mean, I'm down. Yeah, let's do it. I'm down too. The other one I want to touch on that you have is Omar Narvaez, number two catcher in points 
and you thought that JT Real Muto or Will Smith would be the number one uh, granted playing time or injury concerns. So far, it's looking pretty good. Um, where does he sit right now as far as... I mean, he's top 10 for sure in catchers. Um, he's... but. So right now we have Yadi as one. This is in our Dynasty League. We have Salvi Perez at two, uh, Mercedes three, Contreras four, JT five, Wilson six, Navarez is top ten. I think some of these names like Yachty's going to fall off. I think Mercedes will probably fall off, which I also don't think we should even count him as a catcher, but whatever. Um, I think Wilson Ramos and Carson Kelly will also fall off. Navarez is playing great, man. Home run today, two-run shot. Like, I, I really do like me some Omar. You know that, though. Oh, I do. That's your homer pick for sure. All right, I don't, the last ones I want to talk about are Cabrian Hayes and Cody Bellinger that I have. I had Cabrian Hayes leads all third baseman and batting average and Cody Bellinger outside the top five and first baseman. They're both currently injured and on the IL. The one thing we did not talk about during our bold prediction segment is the accounting for injuries. So Cabrian Hayes very well could have an inflated batting average based on less plate appearances and Cody Bellinger clearly is at a disadvantage because he lost playing time and so it'll be hard for him to make up in get back into the top five discussion so let's settle it right here Matt what are the parameters for these two to still be valid in your eyes I think Bellinger would have to be looked at by points per game um, I think probably end of the season what we could do is pull up his first base points per game and kind of compare him to where he is with the rest of the, the, the crew. And I think for Cabrian Hayes, as long as he's back by, say, June, he should qualify for the batting title, right? That's basically the counting metric for batting average that allows you to be a league leader. I also don't think that Hayes' predictions will, will happen because I was completely wrong about Nolan Arenado, and he's playing fantastic. It's going to be very hard for Cabrian yes, to... Yes, it will be. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I agree. Yeah. So I do like the points per game. My only concern is there's going to be a handful of first basemen who have, say, 10, 20, 30, 40 at-bats, and they just go ham during those at-bats, and their average is 5, 6, 7 and they're inflating what we're looking at. So let's say, what's the minimum? minimum. 200 at-bats? Yeah, 200 at-bats. All right. All right. You heard it here first. So let's move on from bold predictions. I want to talk about prospect predictions, a new segment uh, with prospects now being eligible to be called up and not lose a year of service time. We fully expect these top prospects to come up soon. Um, we'll go over some. We'll go over Jared Kelnick, Wander Franco, Mackenzie Gore, Alex Kirloff, Matt Manning, Logan Gilbert, Jeter Downs, and Brandon Marsh and or Joe Adele, depending on how they feel. So let's start off with Jared Kelnick. I personally think he's not coming up until May 11th, which is a Tuesday, against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the reason why I think that is their previous owner, GM, had come out and said that they purposely are holding him back for manipulation purposes. And the minor league season does not start till May 1st. And looking at the schedule for the Seattle Mariners, they don't have a tough matchup until May 11th against the Dodgers when they would truly need him. 
They have the Angels on May 1st and 2nd, and then they have a three-game stand with the Orioles followed by the Texas Rangers. Maybe he could come up May 1st or 2nd for the Angels, but I think they're going to let him have a few at-bats in the minor league to say, well, we wanted to make sure he was right and not injured. What are your thoughts, Matt? I think they hold him on until at least the Super 2. I kind of have the Super 2 pegged right now uh, for June 21st. That's kind of a safe bet. Also, I think something really important to notate is that Tyler Trammell and Mitch Haniger are playing absolutely fantastic baseball right now, and they don't necessarily need Jared Kelnick. And I think with that being said, they may even keep him in the minor leagues longer just to kind of wash away what their former president of baseball operations had said. Also, again, I've been on board with bringing up Gilbert, Kalnick, as well as Rodriguez at the same time. Now, I don't think all of them come up this season. I do think Kalnick does. I have June 21st pegged as his call-up date. I like it. Let's move on to the next big one that is on everybody's radar, and that's Wander Franco. And I have him also pegged for May 11th, and the same feeling, thought process applies here. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to want to use that. We, we want to see what he has going on for him in the minors before we bring him up. And looking at their May schedule, they don't have a tough opponents until May 11th. They have the Astros May 1st and 2nd, Angels for four games, Athletics for three games, and then the Yankees May 11th. Now you could say that they're all kind of challenging with the Angels, their hit or miss. Athletics are on an 11-game winning streak. But it's that divisional matchup against the New York Yankees that I think that's when they're going to need Wander Franco. I think this team is going to need the offense, kind of you as kind of as you had alluded to. Willie Adamas isn't actually playing terrible this season. He's shown me some flashes of maybe offense of production and ability, but Wander Franco is the real deal. He is going to hit 300. He's going to hit 20 home runs. He's going to steal 20 bases. He's going to be the next top tier shortstop in this game. And I think with the Rays' early season success, especially coming off in a weekend series where they swept the Yankees, they're going to want to keep this traction going. Their pitching staff is really weak, right? We're, we're talking about guys like Hill and Waka, who, again, have had early season success. But you've got Glass now pitching at an absolute premium level. Give them some offense. And I think Wander Franco comes up May 18th, so seven days after you had mentioned and it's just a date. I don't know. You could be right. I could be right. I'm expecting a May call up and May 18th sounded great to me. That works. The other, th- well, the only thing I should say that makes me hesitate is they were contemplating having Willie Damas scoot over to third, I believe, and have Franco come up and play short. But right now, Joey Wendell is on fire and he was supposed to be the guy to lose the positional spot for Franco Franco and I'm just concerned that either maybe they wait and use that as an excuse to keep him down I don't think Joey Wendell's gonna keep this hot bat up he's batting over 350 he's got a few home runs he looks great tonight against the Kansas City Royals but it is against Jake Junis so we'll see let's move on to Mackenzie Gore starting pitcher for the San Diego Padres I personally don't think he's coming up until after the All-Star break, and I think they're going to do something similar with what they did with Luis Patino before they traded him, and that's keep him as a bulk reliever or high leverage roles. And I don't have any rhyme or reason other than they didn't bring him up. 
they traded for you Darvish. They went out and got Joe Musgrove. They clearly are not ready to have him as a starting pitcher. And I do think they want to utilize him. He's almost ready. And I think this is the best way they can use him. I just don't think they're going to use him until they start worrying about innings limits. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think this is another super two casualty. I think I have him at June 21st as well, kind of right there with Kelnick. Now, the only thing that's going to change that is today's news of Denilson Lamette going down, right? They already had Adrian Morjan with an elbow injury, who is supposed to kind of be the steadfast player in waiting until Lamette came back. Now you have both of them down, presumably for months, if not the season. And Weathers is the next guy to kind of step into that role. He's not really stretched out in a position to give you five, six, seven innings a start. If Weathers goes down, they're almost left with no choice except to bring Gore up and use him as an opener. So I think it's going to be something really interesting to monitor through the rest of April as we get into May. What kind of injuries do they incur? You know, how is Joe Musgrove's pitch count looking? Because that's going to weigh on the bullpen. There's a lot of things going on in San Diego that are interesting. I mean, they just got swept by a very, very, very bad Brewers offense. And it was kind of embarrassing. So there are going to be a lot of changes. I think Gore might be up before even the date that I set, but we'll have to see. All right, let's move on to the Minnesota Twins, and that's Alex Kirloff. Technically, he already got called up on April 14th, but it was for a doubleheader. He was the 27th man added to the roster. I think he went 0 for 2 or 0 for 3, and he got sent back down immediately after. I think he is a casualty of the Super 2 date, unless he just absolutely tears the ball off the cover in the minor league season. I think there's no reason to bring him up. The Twins have enough bats that can cover. I know Max Kepler is currently injured, but I don't think that's enough for him to come up. Matt, what are your thoughts? This is the uh, first one I think we're going to disagree on. I think he comes up May 4th. Um, I think he comes up as soon as possible in all reality. And the Kepler injury also with Kepler's lack of production is a big reason why. You know, Buxton and Cruz are tearing the cover off the ball. Kirilov can play first base. He can play in the outfield. He gives them a lot of flexibility. And I think as the season kind of drags on with these older players in Minnesota, as well as a Buxton who's constantly going through small injuries, you're going to see that need for depth. Um, so, yeah, I think he comes up May 4th, May 1st. You know, as soon as soon as he's coming up to the big leagues. My only hesitation with that and the reason why I kind of feel that is they're giving the shot to Brent Rooker, also a rookie, over Kirloff with uh, Kepler going down. So I just feel like at that point, why wouldn't you just bring him up and see what he's got? And it seems like they're just avoiding it. And that's my only hesitation. But let's move along to starting pitchers. Uh, Matt Manning, starting pitcher for the Detroit Tigers. I personally don't think he's coming up until August. There's no reason for him to bring get called up unless he's super hot in the minors and he's just tear, just striking everybody out or there's a handful of injuries. What are your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, I actually like Manning the second most out of the Scooball, Maez, Manning group. Um, even Alex Fado, you can add to that list, who I don't think gets enough credit. But I don't think Manning comes up until next year. I think he's probably going to occur another shoulder injury this coming minor league season. He's had a lot of injuries. He's 6'6", very tall, generates a lot of torque on that shoulder and that elbow. And if he occurs another injury, it's definitely going to be next year. Let's move on to Logan Gilbert, starting pitcher for the Seattle Mariners. 
I personally think he's not coming up till after the All-Star break. Their manager, Scott Servias, has came out and said that he wants him to pitch bulk of his innings near the end of the season and in a major league facet. They are currently trying to utilize a six-man rotation and trying to monitor all of their pitchers. They've got young guys like Justin Dunn, Justice Sheffield. They just lost James Paxton, so they really got to keep an eye on it, especially if they start winning some games and have a chance at the wild card. So that's my thought process. I think they might have some phantom IL stints for him down there in the minors so that he has most of his innings at the end of the year. So I just want to kind of go out there and say I'm now adopting the Mariners as my second team, my AL team. Um, This team's going to be a lot of fun to watch with Logan Gilbert. You've got Hancock. You've got Rodriguez, as we had mentioned, and Kelnick. Obviously, our George boyfriends. Kirby, my George boy. Kirby. I mean, we got a lot Evan of White. talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And had Kyle they Seager. had they kept Omar like they should have, you know, this would just be my favorite team. Uh, I agree with you. I mean, you're more educated on Logan Gilbert since you own him in the Dynasty League than I am. You would definitely have a feel for what he's doing, kind of the news on him. If you say that his manager has come out and said that he wants to use him at the end of the year. Fully believe it. I think it's the right strategy, and I think it's really going to get that fan base excited for 2022. I love Logan Gilbert. We'll see him in a stretch role at the end of the year. And this is more so me being biased, but I love to hear it. I don't need Logan Gilbert right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to need him at the end of the year when all these players like Corbin Burns have their innings limited because they're not stretched out or they get injured. So that don't say that you need to take that back we can't talk about a corbin burns injury it's not happening he's going to pitch the next 10 years as an ace he's going to go to the hall of fame absolutely i like it i like it (laughs) (laughs) oh why didn't we choose him to be one of our bold predictions to win like because we can't young no 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 we can't jinx him dude you gotta let him keep rolling all right (laughs) all right well let's just stop talking about him let's move on to jeter downs second baseman for the boston red sox he was pretty much the main piece in the mookie betts deal I don't see any reason why they're holding him down. I mean, Kike Hernandez, I personally think he's coming up May 18th. That's when the Boston Red Sox have a divisional matchup against the Toronto Blue Jays, and pretty much everybody before that is not that great. I would have originally said next year, but they're just, they're kind of on fire, and they're surprising me, so that's why I changed it to this May. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I'm going to be bullish. I'm going to say next year. Um, his second base designation is is truly great, as you had mentioned. They're going to be able to slide him next to Xander Bogarts and really create a dominating infield. But Jeter Downs is ready. He's ready as a hitter. He's ready as a defender. You made a great point. The Red Sox are on fire. I think this week and next week is really going to determine if they bring him up at that designation that you had mentioned, that time frame. But right now they're losing 6-3. to three. I think they're about to go on a really bad cold spell. And if they do that, I think they keep them down a little bit longer. I'm just going to be bullish and say next year. All right. Let's move on to the last one. And this is kind of a combination. It's Brandon Marsh and or Joe Adele outfielders for the Los Angeles Angels. I personally don't think they're bringing them up at all. I think that they're going to try to play Jared Walsh in the outfield, which we've seen them do, and they're going to let Pujols stay at first base so that he can get up that home run leaderboard and pass some people. And I think they're just going to leave Otani at DH other than when he's pitching, and they'll find people to replace him. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, barring a catastrophic injury, um, I think – 
You're absolutely correct. I have this feeling that Trout, Trout actually might go down midseason with a season-ending injury. Um, obviously, just a complete whim throw in the guest, you know, kind of just talking on my butt there. But if that happens, or say Walsh gets hurt or Pujols gets hurt and Walsh has to go back to first, there's going to be a hole, right? They have obviously already lost Dexter Fowler, and they're going to need to replace it. I would say Marsh before Adele, though, because Joe Madden does not believe Adele is ready. And if Joe Madden doesn't believe in a player, the front office listens. So I think if one of them comes up, it's Marsh. I think we see Adele in full force next year. And I, I fully agree. They tried bringing him up early last year, and it just didn't work out. He did not look ready at all, struck all the time. When he did make contact, though, it did go out of the park. So they gave me a little hope, but it just made me think he's still at least another year or two away. And that's why I got rid of him when I did. But that's all the prospects that we want to talk about. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we say goodbye to the listeners, Matt? No, not at all. Well, that wraps up our show for today. We'll talk to you guys next time.